Welcome to the Connecting Mind and Spirit podcast, a podcast devoted to helping you understand and apply the teachings of A Course in Miracles. I am your host, Fiona Williams, author of the newly released book, Awakening Your Right Mind, Healing from Fear and Following Spirit with A Course in Miracles. The benefits of A Course in Miracles are experienced through application of its right-minded principles. Throughout this podcast series, I will explain specific topics and teachings from A Course in Miracles and guide you through meditative exercises, which will help you apply the teachings to your life. Thank you for being here and let's get started. All right, welcome everyone to our fourth book club meeting. And uh, clearly we are gonna be going into April because we've only made it to the end of chapter one, but I hope that's okay with everyone else. Um, so today we are continuing our chat about the ego mind and exposing what it's really up to. Um, last time we chatted um, about, you know, just how the ego can um, be sustained by us through project projection, repetition, judgment, things of that nature. Um, and now we're going to go into the ego's agenda, its laws of chaos. But just before we go into that, I'm going to uh, talk a bit about if you don't feel guilty, um, you know, what some people in my classes are like, oh, Fiona, but I don't feel guilty. And guilt is not something that shows up a lot in my experience, you know, which is, you know, I'm not going to argue with that. Some people have a more gentle experience. Um, and that's just how the ego works. It's very individualized. Um, but what you do want to recognize is that guilt is just any type of reaction that you have that would just not be perfect love or perfect happiness or neutrality, just being neutral about something. When you have a response that will be fear, and remember in the last book club meeting, I was talking about how fear and guilt are perfectly correlated, that your experience of fear is going to be correlated to the amount of guilt that you still have going on in your unconscious mind. And so that guilt is deep there in our unconscious minds and we're not always fully aware of it um but if you do find yourself a bit reactive um or anxious or whatever might be guilt is the reason it is that unconscious guilt over thinking you left your source that is as is put in the course the one problem it is the one problem which shows up as many problems and so the guilt is always what we need to correct. It's always what needs to be healed. And then that's how fear and our reactions and all of that start to dissipate. So when we look at our unconscious guilt, um, a more prominent way it can show up as actual guilt is, as I describe in the book, is if you have a cop pull up behind you while you're driving, just kind of check in with how you feel. You know, are you worried about if you indicated when you last changed lanes? Are you wondering if your papers are all up to date? Are you wondering if you have your license with you? Are you just generally wondering if you did something wrong? And so, or if someone accuses you of something, you know, do you kind of get defensive? That is a sign of the guilt that's kind of lingering beneath. It's kind of a, a gentle way of recognizing, yeah, there is something going on beneath there because I'm reacting this way because a part of me doesn't feel totally innocent. 
right? So just a simple thing to recognize that there, as we're taught in the course, that if you appear to be in a body, if you appear to be here in this world, then you've got unconscious guilt that needs to be corrected and healed. And that's totally fine. And so each and every one of us that appear to be in a body, we're all dealing with with this to some extent. So that's all good. And so this is just on page 26 for anyone following along. But as I shared in this, uh, in my book on page 27, is that when my dog Guinness died after six weeks of being sick and my taking care of him, when I went on a vacation after he passed away, it was when I was laying in bed, nothing was being asked of me. And I was like, okay, fine. I finally, I can have some rest. Finally, I can have some peace. My parents were in the next room. You know, I should have felt perfectly safe, but the fact of the matter was I didn't, I kept having uh, an image of locking my dog Guinness out of my life, out of my home. And even though he had passed, I was having a very visceral reaction to just this image of locking my beloved dog out of my home. And as I share in the book, my right leg would kick as a, a reaction to the visceral discomfort. It was really interesting. And it happened quite a few times before I finally asked the Holy Spirit for help. And I was able to finally feel some peace and go to sleep. But what I correlated it with was, this is what I think I did to my beloved source. I think I locked God out of my life. And now I feel horribly guilty for it. And I really tuned into part of that discomfort when I had that image of locking my beloved dog out of my home. So it's just something that really helped me recognize that guilt is what I'm working with. I do think that I locked my source out of my life and walked away from my source. And it is this that I absolutely need to correct. So as I was saying in the course, it's described that walking away from our source, thinking that we did that is the one problem. And that problem shows up in a variety of ways, right? And those variety of ways are what I like to call the masks, right? The ego will show up in a multitude of ways. So you don't recognize that one problem, which is that you actually think you left your beloved source who created you and loves you. Okay. And then the one solution, which is where we're going to be talking about more in, uh, next Sunday. And as we progress through the book is the atonement. And the atonement is that idea, the right-minded idea that I never left my beloved source. So it is simplistic in the teaching in that there is one problem. I think I left my source and that shows up in a variety of ways. <laughs> and the one solution is I never left my source. And that's the atonement principle. So I hope that just kind of helps um, you understand that you may not always be in tune with the guilt, but if you do have any type of reaction or any kind of hindrance to your peace, to some extent, there's just still some guilt that needs to be corrected and healed. And you can do that with the Holy Spirit. And that's all good. That's why we're here. This world is our classroom. So just uh, hope that helps with um, understanding that the guilt is there lingering around. Um, of course, it's not a threat. It's not anything to scare anyone, but it's just important to acknowledge that if we are walking around in this world, we have that unconscious guilt to deal with. And, you know, I share um, as I continue on, if I don't correct my guilt, then what am I doing with it? And that's where we get into the cycle of fear. So on page 30, 
I have a diagram, which I call the cycle of fear. And it goes, you have that ego guilt thought. You take the thoughts seriously. You react. And then you deny that the guilt is yours, right? Because it's so uncomfortable. And then you project it out. And when you project it out into the world, then you're going to perceive it. And you're going to go back and the cycle is going to repeat. So I have that ego guilt thought. And taking that ego guilt thought seriously, the next step is almost instantaneous. And you'll find the reaction is just as instantaneous, right? Sometimes we'll have like a really anxious thought and you will just feel that stab of visceral discomfort. And you're like, whoa, <laughs> like that was like instantaneous. Where did that come from? So just recognizing that, yeah, in the beginning, it can be pretty instantaneous that we've afforded an ego thought or belief and we react and we're like, no. And it's those reactions, as I was sharing in the previous book club meeting, that are the evidence that the ego uses that your fear is real. But we want to try and remember that that's actually just an effect of us having taken the thoughts seriously. That doesn't mean we need to continue to feed it. So we are able to interrupt the cycle of fear with right-mindedness. And I will be getting into that as we continue on over the next month. Okay, so is that helpful for everyone? Just raise a hand or hand claps. Awesome, thumbs up, perfect, awesome. And you guys know if you have anything to share, you just unmute yourself, you say hi, you raise a hand, you know I'm here. <laughs> All right, so now we wanna get into the ego's agenda. And I love this quote from Kenneth Wapnick. So this is on page 32. And Kenneth Wapnick wrote in Journey Through the Text of ACIM, he wrote, because we are quite subtle in maintaining this mindless state, the mindless state being the ego state, it is essential that we understand the ego's strategy. Such understanding also helps us to recognize the ego's shyness in attempting to undermine our recognition of what it is up to. Okay, so sorry, Kim, I saw that you raised your hand. Yeah, um, I just have a question before you go on about the, the uh, last part you said, um, we feel guilt, we react, we deny, we project, mm -hmm. and then we perceive. Yeah. It seems like perception why doesn't that come before projection? Because when you perceive it, you it seems like you project what you're perceiving. Yeah, and, and in reality, well, in the experience of the world, um, projection makes perception and that it's a cycle. Like it's, so your perception are the thoughts that are real for you in your mind. And then if it's real for you, you're gonna project it out and see it. And then you're seeing it as a projection out in the world is you perceiving it again. So you can think of it as just kind of like a ping pong ball, just bouncing back and forth. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. uh, yeah you're welcome. Yeah. I just, I kind of had to just make it, um, I just wanted to kind of simplify the cycle of fear because when we deny um, the guilt, like we're like, oh my God, I feel, I feel uncomfortable. This can't be because of me. This has to be because of someone else or because of a circumstance. Um, what we're doing there is we're just denying our guilt. And whenever deny, we're taught in the course that projection always follows denial. So that's why I just kind of wanted to simplify it there for that dynamic that 
Um, whenever denial occurs, then we have to project out. We have to see it outside of ourselves, which the ego is like, great. If you see it outside yourself, you'll never go within and correct it. And I get to live a little bit longer. <laughs> but the great question. Thank you so much, Kim. All right. So in um, continuing with um, what Kenneth said, so, you know, it is important that we start to understand the ego strategy of what it's up to because you can imagine before you encountered the course or maybe before you encountered your spiritual um path um you're probably just like me right where you're like why does this keep happening and this pattern is repeating and it's an unhealthy pattern or this person keeps entering into my life and this issue keeps entering in and you don't understand why and we can really just get lost in the chaos and the conflict of the world when we just don't understand what is going on, what the ego's up to. And unfortunately, that can lead us to believe, you know, it can get us, make us feel a bit cynical about the world. Um, you know, this is where people can start to feel hopeless about the world, that these things just keep happening. And I don't know why. And they haven't gotten to the point where they question um, that there's something else probably going on. And so if you're not aware of what the ego is up to, you're going to continue feeding into the ego. You're going to continue playing into it. And so that, if you recognize what the course is actually teaching us, it's teaching us so much about the ego simply so we can recognize it at work. Right. So then when we recognize it, we can become the decision maker, we can become the observer, and then we can start to move beyond it. It's not Jesus is not trying to scare us with his word. He's trying to go, look, this is actually what's happening in your mind. And as usual, Jesus is like, your mind is very powerful. So I'm going to show you what's really going on. And that's the ego's agenda. OK, so I, I love that the course does that for us. I love that we finally get a clue as to what's happening and what we're feeding into unintentionally, because if you don't know you're feeding into it, you know, I, I think that's um, not something that we all have to settle for. I think if we're open to understanding why conflict keeps coming into our life, why there's this chaos, I think then when we start to open up and question the ego, I think that's a really great position to be in. And it can sometimes become a little bit harder because then you're actually aware, or as Eckhart Tolle would say, you're conscious of what you've been feeding into. You're conscious of the negativity. And so that can be a bit overwhelming sometimes, but before that, you actually thought you were the chaos. You actually thought you were the conflict. But now through, you know, understanding what the ego is up to, you're going, okay, now I understand how I'm playing into it, how I've been the one who's been feeding it in my own life. And that's a very powerful position to be in, right? Okay, so when we understand what the ego is up to, then we recognize, as I share, that the ego, its agenda is trying to first keep us distracted from the truth, which is that we are one in our source, that we are innocent, that we are powerful, okay? The second objective of the ego's agenda is to keep you in conflict, right? To keep that cycle of fear, to just keep it going, right? And keep you stuck in it. And then thirdly, to keep you focused on the external world and also your body, 
Okay, so if you can kind of recognize that all the ego is trying to do is just deflect you from the truth, like you can imagine this is the truth, and the ego's like, oh, no, I can't you have you acknowledge the truth, I'm going to bring your attention over there, I'm going to bring it over there, I'm going to bring it over there. And that's all it's trying to do, is it's trying to deceive you, or hide from you your true power. Okay, and it does that, like I said, in a multitude of ways. And that's where the course simplifies it all as one problem one solution. Okay, so when we look at keeping the ego trying to keep us distracted from the truth, I share this quote from the process of psychotherapy at the end of the course. The changes the ego seeks to make are not really changes. They are but deeper shadows or perhaps different cloud patterns. So what that really means is that distraction part of the ego is going, oh, well, you know, how about I present this problem in a new way? How about I give it another mask? And then that will catch your attention for a little bit and you'll feed into that. And then you'll feed into this next problem and it'll just continue to give it a different cloud pattern as Jesus says, it'll give it a different mask. That's what the ego will try to do with that one problem of thinking you left your source. So, I mean, personally, I love knowing that no matter what comes up, like a rude neighbor or stubbing my toe or, you know, I get irritated by my dogs barking too much, whatever it might be. I love knowing that it's actually all just representative of one issue. I think I left my source. I love how simple, simple it is. And as I share chaos or sorry, complexity is always of the ego where simplicity is of spirit. Right. So when we know things are starting to get complex, we know the ego's involved. But spirit is really, really simple. Okay. Jesus's answer, the Holy Spirit's answer is always very simple. Okay. So we want to recognize that no matter how our cloud patterns, our masks show up, there's that one problem beneath it. And the ego is trying to distract you from the truth because remember that that truth that you are innocent, you never left your source, is death to the ego. It's how the ego is undone and how the ego will dissolve. So that's very, very threatening to the ego. Okay. And I also share on page 35, just uh, just for a bit of fun, <laughs> here's a list of uh, symptoms of ego distraction. <laughs> um, so analysis, if you find yourself overanalyzing an issue, right, or look into Dr. Google <laughs> for help with something or just getting really into something, analysis is definitely of the ego. Obsessiveness, right? Aimless thinking, um, getting songs, sentences, or words stuck in your head. I remember when I used to work for my boring old oil company job, I literally would just get Friends episodes just replaying in my head. And I really clued in that I was like, I'm not really using my mind for anything good here. <laughs> like, I am just replaying silly sitcoms in my head. It was really annoying. Um, the incessant inner chatter that we can get, right? Your mind's just la, 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 la. Um, or you re find yourself replaying old conversations or situations, right? Rehashing them, um, fantasizing about conflict. Maybe you go outside and all of a sudden you find yourself really defensive. What if someone approaches you about how you drive or how you park or whatever it might be, right? So you can just kind of look at this list of ego symptoms and go, yeah, that that's definitely, you know, something I experience, <laughs> but all they are, are symptoms of an untrained mind. You know, that's all that is, 
right? Because as I kind of like to describe the ego as being like Bart Simpson from the Simpsons, it's just constantly looking for attention. <laughs> like, please pay attention to me, please pay attention to me. And when you kind of see it like that, it kind of lightens it up a little bit. <laughs> Hi, Kim. Yeah. I love this so much. I had, I had, today has just been a day of like downloads and my friend was like, what, what's going on? And I said, well, there's a simplicity in my heart that just knows. And there's a complexity to which I wrestle with to leave it alone or dig in at it, yeah. dig into it. And you just like the synchronicity of you just saying the simplicity is the spirit the ego wants it to be complex. So I just have to stay with the simplicity is, is there's no striving. Yeah. And there was somebody that said something today that was really cool. That says, um, I don't have to, I don't have something like I, I don't have to wrestle with life. I can have ease. It oh. doesn't have to be so complicated. I can just enjoy the ride. Yeah. So yeah. Those are my shares. Thank you for letting oh, me. Oh, thank you, Kim. And that synchronicity is amazing. <laughs> like that was meant to be for sure. And you know what I think is, is when we're, because we're looking at the ego's agenda, you can recognize how often you feel obligated to the ego or to an ego thought, right? That's definitely how we're brought up in this world. Like, oh, we have a fear thought or something or a symptom or whatever it would be. And we have to analyze, we really have to dig into it. Um, so I, I say that's the obligation we feel we have to the ego, but you don't have any obligation to the ego, right? As we're taught in the course, you don't need to be vigilant for the ego, right? You can just as easily be vigilant for the truth, which I find to be a very empowering statement. So yeah, when, when we find ourselves like just the mind's too chatty and things are too complex, whatever it might be, you don't owe an ego thought anything. Not a thing. We want to let it pass by like a cloud in the sky. Right. So um, just continuing with that section um, in the workbook of the course, we're taught that an untrained mind can accomplish nothing. Right. So even when I was at my old oil company job, I was absolutely accomplishing nothing. All I was accomplishing was making myself really anxious. That's all I did. <laughs> right. But my mind was so untrained. It was just wandering, wandering, repeat, 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 just like an old broken record. So um, also, I just find that kind of empowering to recognize that the more I start to train my mind, the more I'm going to be able to accomplish, the more connected I'm going to feel to my source, the more benign I'm going to be in this world, and the more helpful I'm going to be as well, which is also nice. So when we start to look at the benefits of training our minds, you remember, as I've shared before, you are important. Your mind being healed is vital. We need you, right? And you need me to heal my mind too. We all need to do that because we are the collective one. We are the Christ mind. Hi, Elaine. Yep. Okay. Um, what I've been uh, doing, if I find uh, my mind going towards uh, negative, I start picturing peaceful words. I'll see the word joy. I'll see the word comfort, yes. uh, harmony. So I, I start see, you know, I'll, I'll visualize those words just floating by my mind. And that really helps. Nice. Yeah, that is gorgeous. Really? Okay. Thank you, Elaine. Yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah, that's like a nice kind of right-minded thing you're doing to kind of soften that ego, you know, hiccup, and then it can just help you feel right-minded again. Yeah. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. 
And I, I love to hear what other people do, like whatever, you know, the Holy Spirit, whatever it guides you to do to help help you. If anyone ever wants to share, we all learn from each other. Um, and I think it's just really helpful. <laughs> um, so the next thing that the ego's agenda does is to keep you in conflict. So of course, as I was sharing about the ego's, ego cycle of fear, when you're just kept in conflict, like um, as an example, you all know that I'm recovering from PTSD. Um, but also recently I found out that uh, one of my familial relationships was emotionally abusive. And I've actually had to take some pretty significant distance from that relationship um, just while my nervous system starts to calm down. But of course, I fill in that space with forgiveness, you know, holding myself accountable. I'm filling it in with love and the Holy Spirit. But what I recognized was being in that conflict, I mean, it was not helping. Right. When we respect that we're having this physical experience and we do appear to have these nervous systems that can get really high strung um, and you can find yourself more reactive. I mean, we're all having this human experience. You've got to be gentle with yourself. Um, and, and that was just not a helpful relationship for me. So um, while that person appears to be heightened, I have to get better because it's just unsustainable. And that's something very loving I feel I'm doing for myself, but also them, right? Because the conflict just can't continue. It's just so unsustainable, right? So I have to choose for peace. I have to choose for love. And I feel so much better. A month in, I feel so much more incredible and calmer. And the nice thing is when I think of them, I'm actually having some really nice loving memories of them. So I'm not battling the conflict and the chaos. I'm actually making room in my mind for the truth where even one of the course lessons is to, you know, forget what um, your brother did that upset you and start to remember the times when they loved you and showed you love. Now I'm making room for that because I'm not battling the conflict all the time. And so that's really nice to just get those really gentle, loving memories coming in. It's really coming into my awareness. So when we just um, take a look at how we're maintaining conflict in our lives, we don't need to do that. However that looks, if it's not helpful for you, um, if it's not healthy for you or for them, you know, which conflict never is, then, you know, you can start to make some healthy choices there and turn to the Holy Spirit for some guidance. But yeah, maintaining conflict is just another part of the ego's agenda, trying to make you feel um, like a victim, just trying to keep you distracted from the truth, trying to keep you separated from your, uh, your brothers. Hi, Kim. Hi. Um, question about the Course in Miracles, how it talks about that we um, aren't a victim to anything that we call all experiences to ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> how do you position that with healing the ego as well, knowing that we're part of we're part of calling what we want to experience that we write that we have some um, script writing that we've done. Mm -hmm. Well, what I would say about that is that first of all, um, it's not something to feel guilty about. We've all had some pretty strong experiences in our lives and in previous incarnations, no doubt, we've all, as the Course would say, we've all been murdered and been murderers, you know, in the strongest sense. Um, but what I would say about that is the script has been written. 
Um, but it is only through true forgiveness that we're able to, the ego is able to be undone. And those, those really harsh experiences are able to dissolve and be healed as they were meant to be. So um, when, yeah, when I look at that, it, it's nothing to feel guilty about. Um, and it, it's just something to, you know, if you experience something that was really heavy, what I would say is to just go, okay, I, I don't need to dismiss my feelings about this. I don't need to kind of put rose colored glasses over it. What I have to do is just start to respect that this is part of my healing path. And that the more that I proceed along the healing path, the more that I invite the Holy Spirit in, the more insights I'm going to have about what I truly am, about what the other person truly is. And that's going to help you eventually apply true forgiveness when you're ready. Um, so essentially what I would just say that the Holy Spirit is just going to invite you to not make things worse, right? Like it's just sometimes we can really get into that cycle of conflict and project onto other people, um, really just start to get into that dialogue of separation um, and fear and defensiveness. And it's just that, that the Holy Spirit is just gently helping us to start to feel safe in what we truly are. Um, from a more metaphysical level, uh, we want to remember that this never actually occurred. It's an experience. It's a dream. Um, and so I do also find that very helpful to remember that, you know, this dream can be pretty intense, but that's the power of the mind. Um, but when I remember that it's just a dream, it, it kind of makes me just feel like, you know, there's something better to reach for that I can wake up and I'm excited for the day that I to recognize that I'm enlightened and I'm awake. Um, so I, I just kind of see it as part of the dream, part of the script, and that my part in it, you know, is to choose for the Holy Spirit, is to choose um, for true forgiveness when I'm ready. Um, no one, the Holy Spirit's not asking you to do this through gritted teeth. That's not what this is about. That's not loving, right? The Holy Spirit is just there for you when you are ready to handle things in a more gentle way to apply true forgiveness and the Holy Spirit will know when you're ready because the Holy Spirit's in your mind so that's where I always just like to as I say just leave the door open for the Holy Spirit just extend that invitation whatever it might be and you'll start to get the support that you need um, does that help yeah it, and then plus for me it helps to just always look to see their light and their innocence yeah yeah that, that they chose a script and our scripts interact and and harm and mm -hmm. um but that we're we all join in our innocence yeah which keeps us from separating from one another yeah um and that they don't also have to be i don't have to go up to them and make amends i can make the amends in my heart mm -hmm. Um, with the Holy Spirit so it doesn't have to you don't have to put yourself in a painful position to heal from it as well well and you know and by keeping yourself in the painful situation is painful like it's it's when you keep yourself in a painful situation the fear and the guilt is going to be increased right so it, it's not doing anyone any favors 
Um, and also how I like to see it um, with the person in my family that I'm just taking some loving distance from is um, in my own mind, how I saw it is I no longer want to be the red herring <laughs> as to what they truly need to heal, right? Because they're distracted by projecting it onto me. And of course, I'm responsible for all my stuff and I absolutely am. But what I'm recognizing is that if I can free that person of my role in this abusive relationship, then hopefully that person will be able to start to calm down. Maybe they can seek some sort of therapy that will be helpful for them. You know, maybe they'll get to the point that true forgiveness will happen for them, but that's never going to happen if I'm going to enable a conflict, a relationship filled with conflict and abuse, right? So it, it's like you're freeing them as well, <laughs> which, which you are. When you choose love, you're freeing everyone of the guilt. That's beautiful. Thank you. Thanks. And thank you, Kim. Thank you so much for sharing. Hi, Rose. There yes, you hi, Fiona. Hi, everyone. <laughs> I just wanted to add my experience in conflict mm -hmm. in particularly intimate relationships mm -hmm. uh, with my partner of 30 years. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, we are opposite personalities and, and our childhood wounds meet. Mm -hmm. And um, I have found that I needed to have relationship skills mm -hmm. and communication skills yeah. and actually became a, a qualified Imago, which is a type of relationship therapy, mm -hmm. Imago therapy and <laughs> Then just three years ago said, we need to get therapy uh, in Imago and have someone guide us mm -hmm. in a, a communication tool that keeps us safe and not breaking, i.e. the conflict. You know, just you get, I, I would get so triggered, she would get so triggered. And I just wanted to share in terms of when you have particularly a partner who is willing to enter a structured dialogue, which means there's three parts. You have to actively listen. Yeah. You have to actively validate. You have to actively empathize right. and willing to change some of your behavior. So it really contains uh, interruptions, projections, mm -hmm. and, well, we actually needed a therapist ourselves to keep us in our, in our, so it's tough. It's, you know, it's really challenging. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm just uh, adding my voice that I needed, mm -hmm. as well as the course, mm -hmm. to actually have structured communication dialogue tool. Mm -hmm. And even, even though we both know it, we needed the therapist too. How challenging this can be. So that's what I personally found and, and, uh, and because we did dig in and have a therapist, you know, there's major life lessons. Like we're, we're as the course would say, we're lifelong teachers for each other, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, to stay present and, and work through those conflicts mm -hmm. um, is really challenging. So just yeah. to add my voice to, it's oh. a very challenging 
sort of thing. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Rose. And and it it is a nice reminder that, you know, not not every relationship is, you know, um, abusive or unhealthy, but you're still going to have your hiccups and your miscommunications and your disagreements. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. And, and those, you know, are, yeah, the need to be forgiven and, and worked through as well. And, and if you feel guided to a therapist, the Holy Spirit can move through that therapist, whatever you feel guided to do, you know, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, um, the other, last thing I'll say about that is and the whole movement around childhood trauma and this Imago therapy by Harvo Hendricks really focuses on how we meet our wound of our childhood in our partner or in our parents or in our children or in our siblings we're always those primordial wounds and in my own experience of because of the childhood neglect and shaming as a child, I didn't even recognize in my intimate relationship with, with Muriel mm-hmm. that I, I, the disrespectful ways I was treating her and she was treating me because it was so normal. Oh, yes. I didn't even, we didn't even see it. Yeah. And it, the kind of awareness, like you're in this and you don't even see that you've got a pattern yeah. of lack of self-worth and it's normal to be treated that way mm-hmm. and you think that you deserve you don't even see this lifelong childhood and of course ontological guilt as we're talking about yeah um but just how challenging it is when you and that kind of gut feeling there's something not right here mm-hmm. and you really it's hard to uncover it yeah and really work with it and me it's taken years and it's ongoing so a lot of compassion around the, the growth in intimate relationships. So support to us all as we continue with that. Absolutely. I agree. I absolutely agree. Yeah. Yeah. Because those people we've called into our life, um, you know, that was, that's part of the script as well. And, you know, that was determined before we appeared to enter the physical experience. And um, so it, it's, you know, we're invited to turn that into a holy relationship turning something into a holy relationship does not mean that you stay in an abusive unhealthy relationship if you're getting beaten down that's not you're going to have a hard time forgiving if you're getting beaten down all the time that's not what it's about it's not about putting your physical self or your self-esteem in jeopardy that's not what this is about it's about Um, choosing for the Holy Spirit when you feel ready, when you feel safe, when you feel happy, um, when you feel guided to. Um, But yeah, relationships just take so many different forms. And um, the severity of things can sometimes really be there. And sometimes it can just really be, yeah, sometimes our personalities just conflict and we don't really get along. And that can be the more gentle experience. (laughs) No, and and for me, um, you know, my mother came from um, neglect and abuse and trauma and and her mother this whole aspect of generational stuff that you pick up in our 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 it's in you know you're projecting a, a generational yeah. pattern yeah so it's, it gets really quite complex for the ego yeah and you know a maze that we go through 
mm-hmm. layer by layer. So very important points. And I just appreciate the conversation. It's oh, for the ego, it is complex. And I like mm-hmm. you bringing us back to the simplicity uh, as course students and how beautiful that is. So good job. And thanks oh, for that. Thank you, Rose. And thank you so much for sharing. We definitely learn from each other. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> And it is true that, you know, um, like definitely my family's experience um, has been around um, the the war in Belfast, Northern Ireland. It wasn't just my parents that were exposed to it. It was my grandparents. And, and um, you know, it's, it's curious throughout the PTSD, the amount of dreams that I had where it was um, dreams of ghosts in my grandparents' house and just really showing me that it wasn't just you know, me and what's going on with my parents throughout their life, their trauma from the war. It was also what my parents were taught by their parents and what my aunts and uncles were taught and all of that stuff. So anyways, it was just really, when I went through the PTSD, I was like, I kind of feel like I'm not just dealing with just Fiona's stuff here. I kind of had a sense more of the collective, um, a collective family experience. um, And that definitely needed to be healed. So I, I definitely you know, rocked out my true forgiveness on that one. <laughs> and, and, you know, what you said, how we need you and we need each other, like how you healed many generations behind you and forward it, like we don't get the extent of, of you know, how many lives and minds we, we, uh, we, we change. So I, I really like how you emphasize that and, and that, to remind ourselves, of the power of forgiveness and we it seems like it's just for us of course it is but that it really is for everyone it is it is it really is and I love that yeah Yeah, thank you Rose and and it's true like like even when you go through the the principles of miracles you know uh, we're taught that the miracle can sometimes have unseen effects but man it's working in the background of our unconscious minds in different dimensions of time and and all, and you don't know what it's doing, but you can trust that it's healing people you weren't even aware of. Like that's actually said in the course. And I think that's so cool. I, Cause I'm like, then my true forgiveness is never wasted, right? It's not just yeah. for Fiona, it's for everyone. And what a, what a gift. Yeah, I really agree. That's so powerful and touching, mm-hmm. you know, like what, what we're doing really impacts everyone. It's very inspiring and mm-hmm. it's, it's incredible. So yeah. that we are doing something. <laughs> yeah, we are. Yeah, we're actually doing work. <laughs> thank you, Rose. Yes, thank you. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I I hope everyone. I did share a diagram in an email last week when I shared the replay for the third book club meeting. But I talked about, um, you know, where that conflict comes from, and it of course first comes from duality, that separation, and then you compare. And then it conflicts, and that's where the conflict arises. But um, just touching on the guilt, right? When um, just like sometimes we don't always recognize our guilt. And I love this um, quote from the course from that I share on page thirty-six, and it says, "If you did not feel guilty, you could not attack. For condemnation is the root of attack. So even if we have an attack thought about someone, like an, an attack judgment, even that there's guilt." beneath that 
right? So just so important that we start to correct that guilt, which I also love in the course that we're taught is completely unfounded, completely unfounded. It's, it's not necessary. It's not your reality. So please just correct it and, and we'll let it go. <laughs> Like, it's kind of the attitude we're getting, right? Like, you know, it's it's so uh, sweet that Jesus throughout the course is like, you know, you could choose for happiness. Uh, you know, you don't need to hold on to that, right? Like, <laughs> so I always just love that kind of vote of confidence we always get. <laughs> um, and the third portion of um, the, the third dimension of the ego's agenda, it's keeping you focused on the external world. So of course, as I've shared, separation is just really built into our external world. So the ego is going to have you project out and then just really focus on the external world, because then you'll start to think that separation is true. And because thoughts grow stronger, the more you share them, if you just keep looking out to the world to, for your what is your basis of reality, of course, you're going to think separation is true. Um, but as I was sharing in the last book club meeting, if we start to just close our eyes every now and then to the physical world and start to go within, it is our minds that are connected. It is our spirit that's connected. Whatever conflict we may have with someone, that's just a periphery ego surface issue. Deep within, you are one with them and they are one with you. You're, we're really fighting parts of ourselves <laughs> when we're out there playing out conflict and chaos. Um, hi, Sue. Yeah. Oh, there you go. I was just going to say one thing I've always found really helpful are the 10 characteristics of the teachers of God. Like, you know, sometimes we need to have a bit of a guideline. Yes. And those are just beautiful. Like we need a contrast, but what is the contrast? Mm -hmm. And those often bring me back. I mean, number one, trust, you know, that there's the two worlds. But yeah. And we've also got those beautiful characteristics. So if we just concentrate on them and... Yeah. But sometimes it's just a really good basis to start from as well as love, of course. Yeah, thank you. And yeah, I love the, I mean, one of the qualities or characteristics of a teacher of God is gentleness, right? And not just for yourself, but for other people. If we're just relaxed and gentle, even if you find yourself reacting, all the more reason to just, you know, take some quiet time or whatever you need to do. And then you might find yourself handling things in a more gentle manner. Um, but yeah, you're right. Just thank you. Excellent. Um, excellent resource. The the qualities of a teacher of God. But I, I love those as well, because, you know, it shares with you what is truly possible for us, like our, per like, you know, that we're able to be that way, you yeah. know, and, and that through consistent right mindedness, we're going to be that way more often. I mean, I love that, that, that someone sees that in us and tells us this is what's possible for us. I, I find that so uplifting and beautiful. Yeah, I agree. It's being defenseless. I mean, how many people want to be defenseless? You think, whoa. Yeah. And yet really, the minute you just stop, be quiet, be still, say nothing. Yeah. It's really just quite often the most ultimate response to make. And then you are gentle. Yeah, excellent point. Yeah, excellent point. Yeah, because yeah, forgiveness doesn't attack. For forgiveness just looks and just sees this isn't true. This isn't true. Yeah, it's very gentle in its own right. Thank you, Sue. Thank you for touching on that. I love that. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, so when we're looking out to that external world, um, you know, we're going to be a bit deceived. So just really important to start to develop our uh, connection to our inner world 
to closing our eyes and going within and touching in on that peace that's within. Um, and as I shared in the previous book club meeting, I believe it was that one where I, I started to see the suffering that I was experiencing as just kind of like a snowsuit that I could just unzip and step out of. And underneath that snowsuit is a peaceful Fiona, right? Is a loving Fiona. Um, and I, I just, I kind of just, I didn't, I think that image was a, a gift from the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I found it very helpful because the course lesson, right? Whatever suffers is not part of me. And I love that because again, we're getting that, that touching point of what we truly are is we're not that suffering. So if we're not that suffering, then I don't need to feel obligated to it. I don't need to repeat it. I don't need to rehash it. You know, I can start to heal and let it go. If it's not really me, I can start to let it go. Um, all right, so we've gone through the ego's agenda, and now we'll get into its laws of chaos. And of course, <laughs> laws is used in quotations because it's not actually a law. Um, Jesus describes in the course that um, the ego's laws of chaos are actually delusions of thinking. So when we are, I mean, it is kind of sobering to recognize how delusional we are because of how often we give in to the ego and and play out the laws of chaos um but that's okay we're we're all working with that so this is talked about on page 39 and continues on and um so if anyone has any any questions on it because i know it can kind of be um a bit kind of hard to wrap your head around um well i think it just it seems to be a lot <laughs> but remember that you are not the ego this is just how it um, maintains itself. So we can just kind of look at this gently, just more as the observer. Okay, so the first law delusion <laughs> of chaos is that the truth is different for everyone. And Jesus says this law maintains that each is separate and has a different set of thoughts that set him off of others. And so what Jesus is really saying there is that we're all going to have our different perceptions. And what the ego does is uses our perceptions, which we would see as the truth, how we see the world, it's using those as an opportunity for conflict. And so, of course, political views constantly clashing, right? The truth is different for two different people, and they clash upon it, but not just in politics and everything, relationships, um, even how to cook something, you know, like, you don't know, the recipe is done this way, or whatever it might be. And so what I like to keep in my mind is that if someone has a different of a difference of opinion from me, is that really an opportunity for conflict? Do I need to make that that way? No, I don't, right? I, I don't have to make that an opportunity for conflict. You know, one of the characteristics of what the God's or teacher of God is open-mindedness. So how about I'm secure enough in myself, I'm secure enough in my connection with the Holy Spirit that if someone has a different opinion from me, I'm not offended. I don't need, feel the need to defend that because I'm just working from my perception and they're working from theirs. And so if I have that choice as the decision maker to choose who I get to perceive with, I'm going to ask for the Holy Spirit's knowledge. 
right? I'm going to ask for the Holy Spirit's true perception. So yeah, definitely we can see this first law of chaos play out really easily in our world, is that the truth is different for everyone. We just want to ask ourselves if that's really an opportunity for conflict, you know? And, and I love that because when we really recognize how strong our perceptions are, and that only our perceptions can be sick, then we recognize it's our perceptions that need to be healed. And then we're not going to have so much conflict with others if we just recognize this is just simply how I see. And I'm open to being wrong. And, and I have said that before, that I love being wrong. I love it when I think that I've like judged something perfectly, perfectly well. <laughs> and then I'm like, I get the truth and I'm like, oh man, was I so off. Like, you know, just as a quick example, the other day, my husband got a notification that an Amazon package showed up and he was like, but I don't see it outside. And I was like, well, did you check the mailbox? But he didn't hear me when I asked him that. And he was like, oh man, no. And so he was like kind of upset about that. And in my head, I was like, oh, well, whatever. Right. <laughs> and uh, later I saw two people walking down the street and I was like, they have bags. I wonder if they're like going along still. <laughs> and I was like, it was just a thought. And I'm like, huh, I wonder. I'm like, well, no big deal. It's not like I'm going to chase them down. Right. And then later in my head, I just forgave it because my husband was like still like a bit put off by it. And I was like, you know, all I can do is um, just forgive this. And so I saw the person and like that I imagined did this and I just forgave it and gave it over in peace and I saw their innocence. Anyways, later we got back from running errands and my husband checked the mailbox and there it was. <laughs> the Amazon package was in there. So I was just like, love to be wrong. I love that I was like, that those two people where the ego was kind of like, huh, maybe we should be skeptical. <laughs> I love that I was wrong about them. <laughs> Anyways, just a really kind of uh, funny, gentle little thing. <laughs> Um, so anyways, it is important for us to remember um, this quote from the Course that the ego always seeks to divide and separate, where the Holy Spirit always seeks to unify and heal. So I love that. If you can just remember that the ego is always seeking to divide and separate, and you know that that's only going to bring nothing but conflict to your mind, where the Holy Spirit is going to unify and heal. It's going to make everything whole as it should be, right? So that's um, just something very helpful, I find. All right, the second delusion. Each one must sin and there de therefore deserves attack and death. And so what this does is it just sees the guilt in other people and then it just puts condemnation upon others, punishment, attack, death, right? It just says that other people are guilty and they deserve to be punished. And what you can imagine that does for your psyche, when you are constantly seeking to make someone con to condemn them, make them feel guilty, and punish them, and attack them, that just keeps you in the cycle of fear big time, right? Absolutely. So Again, we don't know always why people do what they do at the core level. We know they do it because they think they left their source. But of course, we never know what other people have experienced and what led them to do what they do. So just to kind of free ourselves of thinking we know that and just leaving it to the Holy Spirit, right? To take yourself off of that cycle of fear, out of that cycle of punishment and attack and death, because it's just guilt, punishment, guilt, punishment, guilt, punishment. It's just going to keep cycling. 
So at some point you got to hop off, right? And that's going to come by just going, okay, I don't need to judge this. I don't need to make this. I don't know what's actually happening. That person deserves my true forgiveness, right? Um, and then the uh, third law of chaos is that God believes his son's egoic interpret interpretation of him and now hates his son. And so what that is saying is, um, like just following in the law of chaos number two, is that if we believe that punishment and guilt are real, yeah, exactly, Kim, I know nothing, exactly. When we believe that attack and punishment and guilt are real, what we're saying is that not even God can come in and save the day right? We just don't believe there's anything else possible. And what that does is that starts to make God an enemy in our minds. If that, if I only believe the cycle of fear is real, if I believe that people are guilty and deserve attack and death, that not even the love of God can save them, then that is the ego starting to make God an enemy, starting to make your source an enemy. And it carries forward into the third law of chaos, where we're taught that in our ego delusions, we go, okay, now God believes that I don't like him. And now he hates me. And so all that is, is just a projection of our own hate for ourselves over what we think we did. And we're projecting it out onto God. We don't just project our unconscious guilt onto other people and inanimate objects and circumstances. We project it onto God. We project it onto spiritual beings um, because if it's real for you in your mind, you can easily put that on anything. So just the ego delusion of just really trying to make God an enemy. And why is the ego trying to do that? Again, because the truth that we are one in our source, we never left our source, is what dissolves the ego. That's the ego's undoing. So the ego is going to be okay, let's start to make this dude an enemy. <laughs> let's start to make God an issue, right? So you won't feel safe to turn to your beloved source, right? And I've shared in earlier book club meetings that we really, really are afraid that we're going to be punished by our source. And that's that's just an insane thought held in our unconscious minds, but it's not actually true. Right. So our God loves us. Our God is benign. <laughs> our source is benign. Um, so again, this is these are just delusions. This is just what the ego believes. Um, and so I share a quote from the course that says, no one who hates but is afraid of love and therefore must be afraid of God. He knows not what love means. He fears to love and loves to hate. And so he thinks that love is fearful hate is love okay and that's from the text chapter 29 of the course um and so when we look at that how many people in your life uh, or in your experience have you encountered maybe even yourself have been afraid of love have misperceived love what love is yeah hi elaine yeah agreeing that yes count me in for that oh yeah <laughs> but um but also, I wanted to say on the previous law, I I, cho I choose to stay out of relationships because there's so much going on in the background in my mind yeah. that it's just an invitation for a chaotic life. Oh, 
fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and isn't it true? Like even I think it's Shirley MacLaine. Please correct me if I'm wrong. But the actress didn't she choose to be single for for years? I think just to focus on her spiritual development. But yeah, I hear you. Like if you you just recognize, you know, there's a lot going on in the background. I'm just gonna work on myself for a bit. <laughs> because yeah, I mean, this is the kind of stuff that um, we're playing out when we when we associate with the ego and and you know i think i do better um spiritually and mentally um and have a fuller life and Mm -hmm. give more of myself to others and more present yeah because i my mind is not working overtime on that person that i'm involved with yes because my mind will work way over time subconsciously yeah and that's what drains my health. That is yeah. that's what I've noticed when I've ever I've been a partnership. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and it's going to um the ego is going to manifest in its own way for each and every one of us. It's going to look very, very different. Very, very different. Each of our paths are different. And like Elaine, you're you'll have different relationships, right? Like you have friendships and and things like that. Yeah. So, you know, we will always have relationships. Even that person we encounter at the grocery store or the teller or whatever at the bank. That is a relationship. Well, that's what I'm saying. I can yeah. show up for those people yes. with more love. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm not my mind isn't working overtime on that one individual. Yes, exactly. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you, love. All right. Um, and then also I share just in uh, that third law of chaos, a quote from the course that says, and now is conflict made inevitable, inevitable beyond the help of God. For now, salvation must remain impossible because the Savior has become the enemy. So when we just start to really recognize that the ego is really trying to make our source an enemy. Um, and, and that's where I always like to share with people like clients or in my classes and stuff like that. You want to start to become friends with God again. You want to kind of start to soften up, you know, <laughs> your relationship there with your source, um, because it is your savior. Um, your source loves you. Your source is completely benign. Um, and your source is there for you. Um, and I love, um, apart from Gary, uh, Renard's healing meditation that he shares in his book love has forgotten no one um and a part of it says i accept god's love and care for me right or sorry it says um god wants nothing but to love and care for me and so when i say that god wants nothing but to love and care for me then i follow it up by saying i now accept your love and your care for me my source and I just add that in there, but I find it to be so powerful. And I always kind of envision it like a really warm hug that I now accept my source's love and care for me. And it's like, thank you. Thank you for being there for me. Thank you for being here for me, for always loving me, even as I dream of something else, you know, so that's just something helpful. I do. <laughs> All right. Uh, the final love chaos is that you have what you have taken. And Jesus describes it as by this, another's loss becomes your gain. And thus it fails to recognize that you can never take away save from yourself, which essentially just means that you believe the separation is true and that you can take from someone else and it won't affect you. That's not true. You can't make a judgment on someone else and it not affect you. You can't take 
from someone else in any form and you be totally secure and safe. Um, all that means is that there's one mind. What you do unto others, you are doing unto yourself at an unconscious level, right? Because there is only one of us. So that just last law of chaos is just really highlighting the separation that we think we're able to do things to others and save from, from ourselves. Um, so just something to be aware of, as I've talked already a lot about judgment. Um, and Jesus further says, but in a savage world, the ego's world, the kind cannot survive. So they must take or else be taken from, right? So unfortunately, that's just how the ego behaves. Um, and, and that, but of course, that need not be, <laughs> right? We are all one. We just want to be very gentle with how we're seeing others, the thoughts we hold about them, the judgments we make. And then also, you know, how we think is how we're going to act. So um, we can just be very gentle with ourselves and what we're how we're behaving with other people, you know, bringing in that gentleness, that love, that compassion, that non-judgment, if we're able to do so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. And then there is the final principle to the laws of chaos, as I call it, the grand finale, and that it is that there must be a substitute for love. That's what the ego believes, that there's a substitute for love, that there's something else. That's just a dream a dream that there is something else. There is nothing outside of love. Only love is true. Only your source is true. You are true because your source created you, but that's the true you, not the suffering part of you, <laughs> right? So I also share in the book at one point, you are because source is, and never are you apart, right? You are perfectly one with your source. So love is, love is, and um, and we are working within a, in an illusion here and fear and separation and guilt is that illusion. And that can only be remedied with love, which is oneness, which is healing, which is wholeness, right? So even if you are going through a rough go and you take that, make that decision to go have some quiet time and calm down, maybe watch something funny, that's love because you're not perpetuating the ego cycle of fear, right? If you decide to go for a walk in the sunshine and smile at a neighbor, that's love, right? So love can show up in so many ways, right? But it always begins with you. You switching from your ego mind to your right mind. That is where your love is going to just shine on through. And you're going to want to. <laughs> you're going to want to be loving when you're associated with your right mind <laughs> and your true self, right? So just something to be aware of um, because there is no opposite of love, right? As we're taught in the course, love is all-encompassing. Okay. Um, and then I just... Um, wrap up well it's wrapped up the laws of chaos section in the course and it says these are the laws on which your sanity in quotations appears to rest these are the principles which make the ground beneath your feet seem solid and it is here you look for meaning these are the laws you made for your salvation they hold in place the substitute for heaven which you prefer this is their purpose they were made for this. There is no point in asking what they mean. That is apparent. The means of madness must be insane. 
Are you as certain that you realize the goal is madness? No one wants madness, nor does anyone cling to his madness if he sees that this is what it is, right? Would we look at anything we just talked about and see that as sane, right? What protects madness is the belief that it is true. It must be seen as true to believe, to be believed. And if it is the truth, then must its opposite, which was the truth before, be madness now. So because we believe in the ego's laws of chaos and we feed into it, then we think that love is not the answer, right? And so how often in your life experience have you had someone scoff at you when you said love is the answer or expressed love in some form? Right? How many times are like, oh, psh, like, come on, it's got to be more complex than that. <laughs> or like, whatever, right? They just shrug you off like you're just ridiculous. <laughs> Anyways, um, such a reversal, um, such a reversal completely turned around with madness, sanity, illusions, true, attack, a kindness, hatred, love, and murder, benediction is the goal the laws of chaos serve. And that's in chapter 23 of the text of the course, if you want to delve in further. But when we clearly look at what we've been maintaining, that's what we've been maintaining through our experience here. Okay, so, you know, that's exposing the ego. That's what it's up to. It's trying to make your source an enemy and by extension, everyone else. It's trying to keep you separated and in conflict. And it is only your belief in it that makes it true to you. You don't need to believe in it. Okay, so on uh, page 51, I share two course quotes, which I want to share. One of them is, no one in this world escapes fear, but everyone can reconsider its causes and learn to evaluate them correctly. Right. So each and every one of us, even Jesus experienced fear at one point. Right. Each of us experience fear. That's OK. But we can all learn to reevaluate. OK. And start to evaluate it correctly. And so that's our way out of here. That's our loving way out of here to start to evaluate fear thoughts correctly and go. This is just what the ego is trying to maintain. This is what it's up to. No matter how it appears, all those masks. This is what it's really up to. And I don't need to play along. And then Jesus ends that section of the course. And it says, this was the ego, all the cruel hate, the need for vengeance and the cries of pain, the fear of dying and the urge to kill, the brotherless illusion and the self that seemed all alone in all the universe. And that's from the clarification for terms of what the ego is up to. <laughs> that was its game the whole time. And we as course students, um, you know, we're taught in Gary Bernard's work that the course is unique in its uh, as being a thought system that actually identifies the source of fear and then helps to undo it. So as course students, we are in an excellent position to understand, okay, this is actually where the sphere is coming from. This is where that guilt is coming from. And now I know what I can do with it. So I hope that just really helps to highlight the purpose of the course lessons of reading the course, 
right? And that you can commit to it and you can have fun doing it, right? Like you can have fun. And I always love to go like, okay, well, now that I know what the ego is up to, I mean, of course, I'm gonna eventually get to the point that I'm going to choose the Holy Spirit over it, right? <laughs> like it, it just seems right. It just feels better. It feels right. So how does that that clears up uh, or ends chapter one? But um, next week we're going to get into the more lighthearted stuff. We're going to get into the right mind. Um, and so you know, as I've shared, you know, looking at all this ego stuff can be a bit heavy. Um, you are innocent you know, it's, it's already been undone, you know, so yeah, it can just be a bit sobering looking at the ego's agenda, but if you can just start to recognize that you're just lifting, getting that veil lifted up over that, that part of your psyche that just delved into chaos and, and you don't need to do that anymore. And more and more, as you commit to right-mindedness, you're going to feel less attracted to the ego, which I have no doubt you guys are already less attracted to the ego. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad, was this helpful? Yeah. Oh, good. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And so, yes, we're, and so we're going to continue with the right mind chapter two, um, uh, which starts on page 53 of my book. And I will just share the first quote for um, that section just to help liven things up before we end this one. The term right mindedness is properly used as the correction for wrong mindedness and applies to the state of mind that induces accurate perception. It is a miracle because it heals misperception. And this is indeed a miracle in view of how you perceive yourself. So we've got some fun stuff coming up. We got the right mind coming up. So thank you so much, everyone, for joining me. And if any questions, you know, you can email me. And I love you so much.